0: Hey, let's uh, have a look at text messages. Let's rattle through these very quickly. Uh, first of all, China—they obviously have read the books on child education by Ellen White. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: big, dude. big big like for Alan White, right there. Whether they've read them or not, and there is every possibility that they have read them because there are uh, education systems in some parts of the world that do base their secular education system on those books. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, I don't know, but they're. Certainly uh, taking a leaf out of it with this, uh, with the latest changes that they've made. Okay. Climate change survival for all our sakes, our duty all sounds great, but we should look at the fine print, which includes Family Day on Sunday by law, mm. which it does. As not in, not in the joint declaration that we just uh, were highlighting this morning, but in some of the other declarations that have been going out there, uh, which is kind of, you know, you put out there, you, you, your best cause is to create a cause that nobody can argue against. Mm. but we all know where it heads anyway, vaccines and entry to churches I was reading a New South Wales government document that claims uh, by the middle of October this year they will open the churches for all who are vaccinated as far as I can see that is a given sooner or later it will happen, obviously pastors will be the first ones to get it um, and as Michael pointed out a moment ago, he hasn't seen that yet, but in you know recent news bulletins, it's definitely seeming like that's going to be closer sooner rather than later. Mm. Um, I, to be honest, I think we're up against it to open churches as an um, essential service. I think they should be because we have seen the terrible, terrible result uh, to the mental health mm. of our community by closing churches. But whether we have governments that are prepared to go that far, I don't know. I kind of doubt it. Okay, uh, let me see here. A friend called me yesterday. His friend is a liberal politician. Okay, so he got one a a friend from a friend um, who told me that in 13 weeks they want to cancel driver's licenses and other licenses for those who are not vaccinated. Yeah. I don't know if I I
1: take stock in a friend of a friend. Yeah.
0: But... Hey, I'm not going to say it's not going to happen. I'm just going to say I haven't seen... Evidence yeah. yet. Yeah. Anyway, freedom of conscience is a gift from God, not man made laws. Choice between no buy or sell and starvation is not choice, it's forced choice. Mm. Very good point. Um, and this one here Should one die for the nation to be saved? that's what the Jewish leaders said about Jesus. I'm not sure exactly where that fits into the conversation, but anyway, that came through as a text, uh, which is an interesting story, which we probably should talk about um, in relationship to vaccinations. There's some interesting ethical issues there that I Mm. think we can delve into, um, particularly from the standpoint of Christians. And, you know, when we look at the example of Jesus, who was prepared to place himself, set a model, let me just put it this way, said a model to us of placing himself at risk so that he could minister to others. Mm. Okay? Let me think about that for a moment. So Jesus would go out and touch lepers. That's what he modeled to us. Mm. And we've got so many stories of Christians ever since then who have gone and done the same thing and have placed themselves at grave risk. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so that they could minister to others how does that apply in this particular situation? For somebody who sees the vaccine as a grave risk, mm. should they then consider taking the vaccine so that they can be a more effective minister to others? Mm.
1: The other side of't the, it other side of the
0: get some text messages coming through bit.:
1: The other side of the coin is that there are people who aren't Christian. Mm-hmm. Who don't want to be to confront the risk of a Christian who is taking risks to be in their vicinity, and then they catch COVID or something like that.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it kind of goes around a few different ways. I think we need to have a a, a, a ministry of you know some people that are and some people that aren't vaccinated. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to minister to both groups, regardless of what group that is. We just need. Uh, to and I think that's going to be the reality of what's going to happen anyway. Yeah. Um, insurance companies are now dictating or will dictate what companies and churches will be allowed to accept in their buildings mm. or business. That's a that's a valid point right there. I haven't seen that one come through uh, yet, but there is definitely some situations there where insurance companies could uh, you know, crank the rates through the roof if you're allowing unvaccinated people wow. in your premises. Oh,
1: dude, if you crash your car and you're unvaccinated, you'd <laughs> they don't, that, that's pretty ridiculous. But it's, it's interesting, uh, like it's an interesting way to think about how this can be controlled from, yeah, a, a private standpoint, you know, in, in terms of like private companies, like insurance companies limiting their support of people, yes. of a service that's so essential, but they have the ability to make those decisions because
0: they're a private company. So, oof. Uh, okay, so October 18, freedom for vaccinated people, obviously not free for the unvaccinated. You just heard it on the news. There's been a bunch of news bulletins that have dropped this morning. I have not yet had time to digest them all. Uh,
1: so I just looked up. The word hasn't come out yet as to whether we're going out of lockdown, but people here. are saying it's unlikely. Yeah,
0: north <laughs> North Coast, places like that.
1: Yeah, but no, no, in Newcastle. Oh, Newcastle. In Newcastle, because they're, they're supposed to decide today. Because this is the second last day of of our lockdown here. Our scheduled lockdown. They're supposed to decide today, and the word hasn't come out yet. So we're watching that space.
0: What's that space? Okay, I find it sad that governments are willing to mandate something with unknown long term benefits, yet unwilling mm. to mandate things with known benefits, such as plant based diet, no alcohol. <laughs> totally agree totally agree absolutely couldn't agree more you know what was so interesting like
1: before we went
0: and back is, in sorry sorry let me butt in okay if you are going to allow people to risk their health with alcohol wow. which is a known risk yes if you're allowed to give people freedom of conscience to drink alcohol which you know is going to shorten their lifespan, mm-hmm. then why can't you give them freedom of conscience to not take the vax?
1: And and then you could make the oh but it's their personal decision. Well, it's been people's personal decision to drink alcohol and
0: crash cars through houses and kill people. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like alcohol endangers the entire community. It's not. It's not just you endangering your own personal health. It's endangering the entire community. And the simple reality is: is if you're vaccinated from COVID, why would you be afraid of somebody who is unvaccinated? Mm. You know, you're going to get a bad headache for ten days or something or other. Yeah, but you but know, that's the point of the vaccine: is that you can get COVID and be all right. Yeah, and not go to hospital. Yeah, that's, that's what that... it's all about. It's, it's, it's supposed to be that you know. Anyway, um, no, but that makes it, remember before we went into lockdown I and mean, we were talking about lockout
1: laws in Newcastle and how they were changing it and people were calling it like ridiculous and stuff? Like, man, oh, if, if only, like, yeah, there was kind of very little uproar to people, like, to lawmakers making a decision that would so clearly affect the health of people. Um, yet, yeah, with, with this, there's so much enforcement and so much, you know, so much differing opinion with the vaccines and, and everything. Yep, yeah, there's yeah, it's just going through. It's okay. I'm,
0: I'm I'm trying here, guys. There are so many of these to get through. <laughs> um, the, the- yeah. Okay. So so Michael did mention that you know the will have a vulnerable population of unvaccinated people. Vincent mm. says he reckons it'll be the other way around. Uh, <laughs> yep, that's a that's an opinion that many people have. Um, then Freco says the whole lot is sus. Why is there no talk on long-term immunity issues for something so important? Because we don't know. The yeah. answer is very simple. We have no idea, we, yeah. we, and and no one will know f- for another ten years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Braden says very interesting point, Lyle. Like your challenging thinking. Okay, so and, and this is something that I've been doing a little bit of. Okay, how much time we got? Oh. Wow. I want to get into our Bible study. Our Bible study is so good. And you guys just keep bombarding me with all of these uh, really interesting texts. Don't stop sending them, though. No, no. (laughs) We love hearing from you guys. Uh, I'm going to come back with a couple of more challenges that have just been working around in my mind. Mm. We'll see where we go.
1: You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio.
0: Okay, so Jesus modeled to us an example of risking his health to minister to others. Mm. So if we are to follow the example of Jesus, how far should we be prepared to go to risk our health to minister to others? Mm. And this is something that I've been noting noticing a lot amongst a lot of Christians and I'm not I'm, I'm not prescribing anything here i'm just putting this something out as something to think about i've been noticing a lot of christians who have taken an entirely self-focused attitude on the issue of vaccines and they are like and and their attitude is i am not going to risk my health because i believe the vaccine is going to risk their health and it is a risk Mm. just you know there's no question about that it's just whether it's a big enough risk to take it or not that's just you know it's, it all comes down to weighing the risk mm. but they're saying i'm not prepared to risk my health to by taking the vaccine mm. okay but then at what point does refusing the vaccine limit your ministry to the mm. point that now you can't minister to anybody else mm. It's an interesting thought to sort of turn around. Here's another one. My wife sent me a uh, um, uh, really interesting passage for us to think about from 1 Corinthians chapter 8 yesterday, and she's like, what do you think about this passage in relationship to the whole vaccine argument? So let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and let's see what the Bible has to say here. So this is a really interesting discussion that you've got here, and the discussion is all about meat that is offered to idols. And the reason that this is interesting is because it's a freedom of conscience issue. It's not a religious – wow. okay, so so let's, let's divide these up. And let's talk about religious liberty is the freedom for your church to practice its doctrines. Mm. Freedom of conscience is freedom for you within that particular church to have a difference of opinion, a conscience-based difference of opinion from the person sitting in the pew next to you. Yeah. Okay, so uh, freedom of religion is you have a doctrine that uh, that says uh, you know I don't drink alcohol mm-hmm. okay that's that's a that's a religious liberty issue right there that's a, a a doctrine that the Adventist Church actually has, which is a fantastic doctrine and I fully support it. I think it's fantastic and amazing um, freedom of conscience is the vaccine issue mmm and 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is all about a freedom of conscience issue that existed in Paul's day. Mm. And the freedom of conscience issue here was the issue of meat offered to idols. And this is a really important passage that I think we need to look at because uh, and his homework for all of our listeners, I want you to go and I want you to read in detail 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and actually digest everything that this passage is talking about. Here's the issue. Paul is ministering to a Gentile church. Mm -hmm. These are all people who are former pagans. Mm. A part of the pagan religion was the concept of eating the God. Mm. And to have God within you, well, how do you get God within you? Well, maybe you eat the God. Mm Mm-hmm. And so there was a whole slew of different ways that this used to be practiced in the ancient world, and it's kind of the origin of uh, consubstantiation and transubstantiation that you find in uh, Roman Catholic or Lutheran churches today.
2: Mm. Uh,
0: but the the idea behind part of it was, you know, this this idea of meat that is offered to idols. Whole bunch of different ways that this went this this was practiced, but essentially, this was meat that was dedicated to idols, and when you eat this meat, you eat the God, mm. and you are absorbing the God that this meat has been dedicated to you into your body and that God will now become a part of your body and live out within you. Mm. As the, 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 the kind of concept be twi- be behind eating meat offered to idols. And so you've got a lot of pagan Christians who when they become Christians and they leave idolatry behind, they're like, well, we're never going to touch that kind of food again. Mm. Becomes a little bit of a burden for them, but they're like, no, that's our, that's our conscience. Our conscience forbids us from doing so. The apostle Paul would turn up and he would eat anything that was appropriate to eat. You know, if it was good, clean food, he would eat it regardless yeah. because he's like, well, idols don't actually exist. They're yeah. not a thing. You know, they're a carved piece of stone. They're not a you know, <laughs> not a person. They're not a there's, – there's, there's no such thing. And so this is food. Yeah, he's a Jew. Like he has yeah. no background in this. Like, None. It's like oh. – no yeah. interest in it whatsoever. And so his conscience is not defiled by meat that is offered to idols. However, there are others there whose conscience is defiled by it and they refuse to do so. Mm. So read through First Corinthians chapter 8. We have to ask ourselves the question, all right, did Paul hammer them on their issue? Mm. Did he cut them off over this issue? Did he say, I won't worship with you because you have a difference of opinion with me on this issue? Did he call them stupid? Yeah, well. Because of this issue? He did none of those things over this issue. He said, no, we need to stand up for the weaker brother who has an issue of conscience on this issue. Mm. Right? We need to allow the weaker brother to have freedom of conscience on this issue just because i just because you know i have this i have this freedom to eat it Mm. doesn't give me the right to go and persecute the person who has a conscience about it well he didn't even try to change
1: the culture or anything he didn't even say to them like no none of this he didn't say oh well you
0: know what you should just eat it because that's what christians do and this is what we need to see within our churches today mm. because what I'm seeing within our churches today is people hurling stuff at each other, left, right and centre over the issue of vaccines from either side mm. and not allowing either side, you know, they're just calling them stupid, calling them dangerous, calling them this, calling them every name under the sun. Mm. I see this happening and I see the, the most un- Christian behaviour I've ever seen. You know where I've seen the most unchristian behaviour from? Who? For me personally, in, in my social media feed, it's actually been from the pro-vaxxers. Mm. I've seen some really brutal stuff come from pro-vaxxers in the last couple of weeks. Mm. And it's like, guys, this is an issue of freedom of conscience. Just because you have liberty to take the vaccine does not mean that you have liberty now to slam somebody who doesn't. Mm. Because what you are doing is you are creating a stumbling block for yeah, the person wow. who doesn't. Mm. You see? And you can take, you can turn that around the other direction. You can say, just because you have liberty not to take the vaccine, that does not mean that you have liberty to create a stumbling block for those who do choose to take mm. the vaccine. We need to be able to worship side by side in church. We need to be able to be friends. We need to be able to be prepared to. Live in a mansion next door in heaven to somebody mm. who is on the opposite side of the vaccine debate from us. Wow. All right, Randover. I I love that point, and I love that point
1: because this is a problem that we are all going to face. Like this is a situation yeah. that we are all going to face. We're all going to be put in this issue where we know yes. uh, in this situation when we know people on both sides, and we're going to be on a particular side. Like that's just the nature of you're either. A Pro or an anti, like the- yep, it's
0: divided. It's divided Australia straight down the middle. Yep. So the most divisive thing that I've ever seen in Australia.
1: So ultimately, uh, yeah, praise God for Paul and his ministry in the Bible and giving us so much insight into this, into this, into this situation. Hebrews chapter
0: 4, oh, this, it is, it's fantastic. It just goes to show there is a precedent in the Bible. God has seen everything. Yeah, wow. And he has seen this situation, and there is a clear biblical precedent on it, and that is remarkable. Oh, amazing. Okay, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 4 to 7. Uh, we read this yesterday, but we're going to compare it today with Psalms chapter 95, verse 8 to 11. So let's start in Hebrews chapter 4 and read. Uh, remind ourselves with verses 4 to 7. We know it is ready because of the place in
1: the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all His work. But in the other passage, God said, "They will never enter My place of rest." So God rest is God's. Re- uh, so God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering His rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear the vo- hear His voice,
0: don't harden your hearts. Okay, so when we look at this particular passage here, we have to ask ourselves the um, uh, we have to ask ourselves the question that is. Did the Israelites enter into rest? And when you look at the at what Paul is talking about here and what he's quoting from the, from the Old Testament, he is actually referring to the experience, obviously, the Israelites who didn't enter into the rest because they didn't enter into the Promised Land. Mm. So then, the Promised Land becomes a symbol of rest, mm. a symbol of a place of rest. So what we're going to do is we're going to go over to Psalms chapter ninety-five and we're going to look at this in verses eight through eleven. So Psalms ninety-five now. Um, and verses 8 through 11. Let's head over there. And if you can start reading for us there, yeah, in verse 8 down to the end of the chapter.
1: And the Bible says, The Lord says, Don't harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah, as they did at Ma- Massah in the wilderness. For there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw everything I did. For 40 years I was angry with them, and I said, They are people whose hearts turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger I took an oath, They will never enter my place
0: of rest. Okay, so did they enter in or did they not enter in? It seems that they did enter in. He says that they would never enter in, but it seems that they did. Let's. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. You're listening to Ali Rogers with Fairest Lord Jesus. We have another clue for our quiz. Let's see if you can win the prize on this one.
1: What's our prize again? I forgot oh, that. From Sabbath to Sunday by Carlisle B. Haynes. Oh, yeah. Epic, epic, epic book, The Attempt to Change God's Holy Day. And our final quiz question is, the chapter in both Matthew and Luke that records the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist? There you go. Absolutely. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call. If you know what the answer is, we'll give you this book absolutely for free. All you need to do is answer the question. And it is a fantastic book, a fantastic resource, getting into the historical uh, story, the account of how that went down from Sabbath
0: to Sunday. If you've got questions about that, great book. It'll give mm-hmm. you the answers right there. And I've had a number of questions about that recently. Actually, actually, how did it, how did it change? When did it change? Who changed yeah. it? All that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. History is absolutely clear on this subject, mm. unequivocally clear on this subject. Yeah, um, it wasn't changed until centuries after. Uh, after Christ. Mm. All right, let's see. Uh, what have we got right here? We've got um, some text messages, I think, popping through. Let me just have a quick check at those. But um, let's look. Well, let's, get, let's just go back to um, Psalm 95 here and let's start discussing what we've got. The Bible says, "Harden not your hearts, as in the day of provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness." Your translation. Had a whole bunch of yeah. names in Don't there that harden are.
1: Harden your hearts, as Israel did in Meribah and as they did in Massa in the wilderness. Yeah,
0: that's very interpretive. Yeah. Not necessarily incorrect, yeah. but very interpretive. It's not in the original. Um, it talks about the day of provocation, and there was probably a whole bunch of those, mm. other than Meribah and that other location that you just mentioned, um, where they provoked God. Yeah. And God decided, no, you're not going to end into the promised land. Weren't they just doing that constantly? Wasn't that kind just their of, existence? Pretty much. <laughs> <So exactly. laughs> okay, then it goes on and says, When your fathers tempted me, tested me, and saw my work, 40 years long I was grieved with this generation and said, It is the people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, under whom I swear in my wrath they should not enter into my rest. Mm. So did the Israelites, and here the rest obviously is the promised land. It even says in my
1: translation, my place of rest. Right. Giving you know, that kind of locational emphasis. In, in, in interpretive translation. Yeah. There.
0: And this is, you know, I think all commentators would agree that this is talking about the promised land mm. as a type of place of rest. Mm. Okay. So did the Israelites ever enter into the promised land? Yeah. Yeah. But God says they'll never enter into His rest. Mm. So when they enter into the promised land, do they enter into His rest? Um. Interestingly, they, God
1: says that they'll never enter into His rest, mm. and all of those people died.
0: All of those people died. Yes.
1: Yeah, and so you. So those people didn't. But the, obviously, their next generation.
0: They did, and when they get to the promised land, they've got a lot of hard work to do. Yeah. That's right. They'd have got to conquer the promised land. But the promised land is not just a place of physical rest. Mm. It's seen as a place of spiritual rest. And if you look at the history of ancient Israel, how much spiritual rest did they experience? Oh, very little. It seems to be very minimal, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> and when you read down through the history, you know there's not a whole lot of physical rest there either. Mm. You know, you you, you, you look, even look at the Israelite empire mm. when it really did become an empire um, under David and Solomon. David's whole life was spent fighting. He was mm. a warrior. He was mm. a warrior king. And, you know, it was almost like every summer he went to war somewhere. mm Well, you've got Solomon who comes along and certainly there is a reign of peace under Solomon as he solidifies the empire, as he creates a tremendous amount of wealth for the empire, he becomes the massive, you know, CEO of the empire. Mm. And so you've got a period of peace, but also a period in which idolatry floods into the nation through all of his foreign wives. Yeah, that's right. Solomon's out there building high places to worship these pagan gods mm. within the nation of Israel. This is the equivalent. And some people are like, well, isn't he just practicing religious liberty? No, this was God's church. This is the equivalent of setting up a pagan shrine in your church hall. Yeah. It's like, okay, you pagans worship in the church hall, we worship in the church hall, vice versa, however it might be. No, we don't do that. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Um we, we certainly say to the pagans, you can, you can set it up down the street somewhere, but yeah. well, we don't set it up in the church hall. But, and this is like, it's interesting that these two times of like, even
1: in the peace of the experience, like this was considered the golden age of Israel, followed by a slew of terrible kings in which the only spiritual victories that Israel had were in a, in response to massive idolatry and then were ultimately like, you know, I look at like the story and life of Elijah ultimately just became a flash in the pan that didn't result in anything and just continued to go down the track of idolatry. You do have
0: these these short flashes in the pan.
1: uh, Well, for Elijah, it's very short. Yes. It's like, oh, dude, the rain comes, like he had the battle on Mount Carmel, the rain comes and then like, you know, he's there for one day and then runs away and they all go back
0: into idolatry. There's a little bit of, you know, you got got Jehu comes along and Jehu's like, yeah, I'm going to get rid of idolatry, and so he kills them all. Yeah, and then his life ends with, oh, but he fell into the sins of his fathers and died. Yep. <laughs> like So it kind of makes a bit of a start under Elijah, but it goes nowhere. Yeah, that's right. You've got some uh, spits and spurts of it mm. in the southern kingdom of Judah. Mm. You know, you've got some great kings down there, you know, Hezekiah and so forth, tremendous kings um, that brought, you know, tremendous revival mm. to the nation at various times, Josiah and others. Yeah. Um, some, some just shining examples of yeah. people who were faithful to God.
1: But it was always a battle. It never came in a context of peace yes. or a struggle. It was always a response to great, like, nation-shattering problems. And the ultimate result is that they go into captivity. Yep.
0: <laughs> yep. The, the northern nation goes into exile and vanishes, disappears, never to be seen again, and the southern nation goes into captivity and then comes back. And when they come back from captivity, do they then find rest?
1: Um, well, they just become subservient to whichever world empire is ruling at the time.
0: And they develop a religion of works. Mm. So basically what they do is they look at, oh, we went into captivity because we were not serving God well enough. Yeah. Well, you know, serving Baal is definitely categorized as not serving God well enough. <laughs> and so they decided that they were going to counter that by saying, okay, we're never going to go into captivity again, so we are go- going to serve God well enough so that we never go into captivity again. And then they started making rules. Yeah. This is how you serve God. This is what you do. This is how you keep the Sabbath. They made so many rules. And this is where the whole concept of salvation by grace really did disappear. mm and salvation by works was very, very firmly uh, entrenched within the Jewish religion and is still in the Jewish religion today, sadly. Yep. This is this is one of the great weaknesses of the Jewish religion is that mm. it is lacking in grace. Mm. And this was the period when that really happened and it really took over the whole concept of salvation by works so that when Jesus comes back and Jesus says you know, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. It's a new concept to them. Mm. Didn't used to be. He's quoting from the Old Testament. Yeah. He's quoting from Leviticus and Deuteronomy. This is not a new concept. It was
1: it, Actually, that, that was, was quoted lost... to him. Yes. It was quoted to him by someone in the crowd. Like They were like, oh, yeah, isn't this what you're supposed to do? Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. They had and, no idea and, what I was talking Jesus, about. Jesus turns around and says, "You know, you're not far from the kingdom of God." Mm. And so, the lesson for us here is this: we need to look at these individuals of the past, the, these, these, the history of Israel of the past, I should say, and apply it to our lives in an individual way. Mm. Are we enter, in entering into the rest that comes from God? Are we resting in His? Grace? You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast fighting? on faith as Isn't dead, be fighting, God? positively different. Let's be resting in Jesus Christ today. Come time for our question of the day
1: alright Lyle our question of the day is pretty simple one what does it
0: mean to be anointed it can mean a whole slew of different things uh, right here and let's start working our way through them mm-hmm. first of all Uh, in the Bible, you could be anointed to be a king, a political leader. Mm. And that means that you are chosen by God. It does not necessarily mean that you are filled with the Holy Spirit for that particular purpose. So let me give you a couple of examples. Hazael was anointed to be king over Syria and he was a rank pagan and somebody who committed some of the worst atrocities recorded in the Bible. But he was chosen by God to be a punishment to the nation of Israel. Then you've got uh you know Acts chapter 4 verse 27 the Bible says for of a truth uh for of a truth against your holy child Jesus whom you have anointed um you've got the anointing of Jesus right here he was anointed by the holy spirit at his baptism mm. You've got the anointing of other kings like say for instance King David or King Saul and when he was anointed to be king over Israel when King Saul was anointed to be king over Israel the Bible says that he became another man and that he prophesied. Clearly he was filled with the Holy Spirit at his anointing. You've got the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Then you've got the anointing that goes along with healing and we've got lots and lots of different uh, passages in the Bible that relate to this. Um, Mark chapter 6 and verse 13, talking about the disciples as they are sent out by Jesus. The Bible says they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Uh, James talks about anointing with oil those that are sick, calling the elders of the church, having an anointing service, and praying over somebody who is unwell. And so you have anointing with oil in relationship to healing. The Bible also talks about anointing with mud. Did you know that? Classic. No, I've never been mud anointed. Okay. Uh, the blind man was anointed with mud. The Bible That's says. Right. The Bible says his eyes that Jesus spat on the dirt made mud and anointed his eyes with mud mm. um, and healed him. And then you have anointing for burial, and so, for instance, when uh, Jesus was, um, was you know, when when Mary came in and uh, at Simon's house gave the you know the alabaster jar full of perfume and poured it out on Jesus' feet, he said that she was anointing him in preparation for burial. So anointing can mean a whole slew of different things in the Bible. Probably the most important thing that we can look at is anointing of the Holy Spirit. Throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit is, is symbolized by oil. And the reason that oil is used uh, in an anointing service for the sick is to symbolize that the Holy Spirit is coming upon that person to heal them of their disease. Uh, we have then many other examples. You know, verse, Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, "...the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach." And so here you've got the example of somebody who is anointed by the Holy Spirit to actually preach. Now the word anointing, and you know you hear a lot, particularly in charismatic churches today, about anointing. You have major major doctrines that are formed around this, but it's only actually mentioned twelve times in the New Testament. Mm. And not all of those times are the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You know, you've got the anointing of mud. You've got you know the anointing of you know, other other people and so forth. And so uh, it's not always the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but it is definitely there. And so what you've got is when the Holy Spirit anoints somebody to preach, this is the equivalent of receiving one of the gifts of the Spirit. Mm. Every Christian, when they give their life to Jesus Christ, becomes another person, Mm. as King Saul did. Every Christian, when they give their life to Jesus Christ, receives a gift of the Holy Spirit, as Saul did. Not necessarily the gift of prophecy, like King Saul got, but they receive a gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm. What we need to do as Christians is to know and understand very clearly what our gift is so that we can use that gift that we have been anointed with in sharing the gospel message with others. Mm. And if you are unfamiliar with what your uh, particular gift is, then that's something you need to pray about and study about and maybe talk to other church members, even your pastor about And uh, so that you can go on a journey of discovery to find out what has the Holy Spirit anointed you with because we have all been anointed.
2: Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.